Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Music is math. Let me explain. Uh, my first ministry love was, was music. I've shared that before. So if you're new today, uh, I, used, I, I love music. I love worship. I'm so thankful for Blake and the team. That was amazing as always. Um, so, so music is math. Let me explain. So in the, in the major mode of music, minor mode doesn't play by uh, the rules as well as major mode. Some of you guys are music people. You know what I'm talking about. Let's talk about major, major mode. Uh, there are scales, and in each scale, there are eight notes, seven plus the, the one would be the octave. So let's just say it's eight. And uh, music uses the alphabet. And so let's just for simplicity say uh, that we are uh, going to be talking about the key of C. Okay, so using the alphabet, let's make the notes for the key of C. There's no flats and sharps in the key of C. If you're on the keyboard or the piano, it's all the white keys. All right, you don't have to worry about the black. All the white keys, all right? So all the white keys, you start at C. Use the alphabet for me. You have C, D, E, F, G. Now we've got to go back to A. There's only eight, and G is the eighth, all right? So, so A, B, C. So the notes, again, are C, D, E, F, G, A, B, and C. Now, those are notes. In order to craft this music that we've been singing, in order to craft any music that you might hear on the radio, you have to take those notes and put them together with other notes, and we call those chords. So here's the math in it. There's eight, right? We went over all those. If you wanted to play a C chord, you would take a C, that note, and you would go skip one, and you would go to uh, C, and you would skip one, and you would play the third, and then you'd play the fifth. So if the math is one, three, and five. And so the, to play a C chord, let's just kind of do a little bit of a little math together. The, the, the note that's the C would be the C. The third, the third, we skip the D. What would be the next one? E. e, right? So we have a C and an E, and then we skip the F, and we have a G. And so if we were to play a C, E, and G, what chord would that be? It would be a C major. Oh, some of you guys are music people. You went out on and out the major, all right? Now, so, so music is math. You can do this on. You could go, like, you start the next one. You can do a D. You can go one, three, five. You can go to the next one, one, three, five, one, three, five. And if you know anything about music, the, in A scale, the, somebody's going to win Jeopardy on some of well, Someday, somebody's going to win Jeopardy on this. It's all going to make sense in a minute, okay? So you would have uh, in, a, in, a, in a key, the first is always a major, then you have a second minor, a third minor, fourth major, five major, six minor, seven diminished. Okay, and then you get back to the eight. Let me, let me show you kind of what that looks like. Okay. All right, so here's the one, here's the three, here's the five. All right? So play them together. This is a major chord. Isn't that pretty? I can play it down lower. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Some of y'all's minds are blown. All right. So one, three, five. If I were to make a minor chord out of this major chord, I flat the third. So instead of this, it sounds like that. That's a minor chord. All right. 
To make a diminished chord, we flat the third and we flat the fifth. And it sounds like this. Isn't that pretty? No. As a matter of fact, if you hear the train in a minute, you hear the train whistle. The train whistle is not a note. What makes it so annoying, it's a chord. It's a diminished chord. It's that. That's, what it, that's, what the, that's how they make a train whistle. It's three and it's a diminished chord. But, man, if you can play a major chord... Like the, the root of that is, man, you can get all kind of good stuff. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. All right, okay. Or we could go. Let's see. What a friend we have in Jesus. One, three, five, right? In Jesus. Oh, bad. <laughs> There. That's better. Got to get it right. Oh. Right, so you see it? See that there is power. I believe, yeah. Yeah, right. Don't clap for me. Clap for the other guys that know what they're doing. But to me, there is something powerful about music. And specifically for me, I call them striking chords because I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing up here. I know a little bit of music theory. And I started on guitar, so I just kind of see I'm strumming the piano or striking the piano. I am striking a chord. There is something about music, just any music that if it's, it's the music that, that, that you like, there's something about music that connects to us. You could say it, it, it's striking to us. It, it, it's, it specifically strikes a chord in our life when we hear a certain kind of music. But, man, if you can take your needs in life, uh, connect it to a deeper well that, that strikes to our need, and that is God's Word. God's Word strikes us. It strikes a chord within us. When we hear God's Word, when it is faithfully taught and faithfully heard, it strikes a chord in our life. But if you can put that chord of Scripture within a powerful chords of music, that would be the sound of hope. That would be the songs that, that many of us grew up listening to. So we're starting a series today called The Sounds of Hope. And the idea of it is, is to take these songs that have been sung in churches for generation upon generation and to talk about those, specifically how they are the sounds of hope, how they strike a chord in our life to the deepest part of who we are. Because it's good music, but even more so, it's great truth. It strikes us to the core. And so here today is the sound of hope that I want to give you. This is it. It's really simple today. You've heard this before, because when I grew up in the 19. 80s, uh, there is a Houston radio station that used this phrase so many times I heard it growing up. Here is the sound of hope for today. God listens. God listens. I want to talk to you today about prayer. Reminds me of speaking of the 1980s. There are a couple of boys, a couple of brothers who were staying at the grandparents' house before Christmas. And every night they would, they would pray. And so they got on their knees and they were praying. And one of the boys began to shout at the top of his lungs, God, I, I, pr I pray for a new bicycle. 
God, I pray for a, a, a new Nintendo. And God, I pray for a VCR. I told you it was 1980s. <laughs> and the other brother happened to be the older brother. He's like, why, are, why in the world are you shouting? No, God's not deaf. And he said, the other boy looked at him and said, yeah, you're right, but Grandma is. <laughs> oh, man. Prayer is so important. I want to talk about the idea of prayer today and the gift of prayer. Under the overarching banner to know that all of us need to know and be reminded today that God listens. God listens. He always listens to us. But prayer is one of those things in life, for, for whatever reason, for the majority of us, if not all of us, it's challenging. It's hard. I think it comes from several misconceptions. I'll focus on three today. The first is this. That it, one misconception is that prayer is complicated. We, we have, for whatever reason, I think that we've overcomplicated prayer. I hope today to give you a simpler pathway to understand prayer. But I remember growing up as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, I grew up going to church I grew up going to church where the deacons would come up either the middle or the end of the service to take up the offering. And they would have a token deacon that would pray. And that, that, that token deacon would grab the microphone and he had that deep voice. And he would begin to wax eloquent praying to God. But it, it, was, not a, it was not a language that I really understood at seven, eight, and nine years old. And, and it was always long and, and it, was, it was beautiful. Nothing wrong, I don't hear what I'm not saying, nothing wrong with this. But as a 7, 8, and 9-year-old, when I heard this deacon praying a prayer in King James English, God, I seeketh you to the very deepest of my soulest, you know, and he went on and on and on. I thought as a 7, 8, and 9-year-old, I was like, man, I can't do that. I, I, I'll never be able to do that. I don't even understand most of the words he's using. I can't, I can't pray like that. I mean, it, Jesus was more than two syllables. It was like, Jesus. It was like three syllables instead of two. Like, I, I don't understand. And I got a little older as a teenager, and I was going to church. I was learning, and they began to teach about prayer. And, and I began to kind of combine all of these things I'd be learning about prayer. And as, as a teenager, I was, I was pretty uh, concrete in my understanding of who God is and prayer and all those things. And so I began to kind of, if you would, maybe syncretize the idea. So I was just adding them all together, like all of it, more of a, a legalistic approach to, to prayer. And so I knew prayer was talking to God, but then then I, I, I learned scripture says that we should talk to God in the morning. We should pray to God early in the morning. It's like, okay, I got to do that. I'm, I'm going to start waking up. I'm going to start praying early, early in the morning. And then my youth pastor said, hey, it's a, it would be great. It would be great for you guys to shoot for talking to God in the morning uh, for an hour. I'm thinking as a 14-year-old, I didn't do anything for an hour. <laughs> but I was like, I got to do this. I got to wake up in the morning. I, I got to spend time with God and talk to him. Uh, for an hour, and then someone said, you need to do this in a closet. I'm like, I, I have a closet, but it's full of toys. I don't, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have a prayer closet, so to speak. Like, I got to have a closet. What am I going to do? And then, then they start talking about more spiritual things. Like, when you're praying, you need to bomb the devil. It's like, how in the world do you bomb the devil? I don't know how to do that. Yeah, and then you gotta, you got to talk to God in different, you got different names. God the Father, you got to talk to God the Father, you got to talk to the Son, the Jesus, and you got to talk to the Holy Spirit. Like, what in the world? How do I, how do, I do all these things? And then I then I'm start combining all these things. In what order is the right order? Do I bind Satan before I start talking to Jesus in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit? 
and I don't understand. Do I hold my hands right? Do I kneel? Do I put them up this way? Do I go this way? I don't know. I give up. It's too complicated. I can't do it. As funny as that might be, I think that might be more true than what we might think. We have overcomplicated our prayer life. The second is prayer is boring. If we're all honest, we would, we would say that many times prayer is boring. Uh, pr- prayer is hard because it is, it is boring. It reminds me of when Jesus in Mark chapter 14, just before he went to the cross, he took his disciples with him to Gethsemane, the garden, garden of Gethsemane. And this is the time where he's going to go off and pray, and, and he's, he sweats blood and, and all of that. He's about to, he knows what he's about to do. He's going off and spend time with the Father. And so he told his disciples, stay here. I'm going to go pray. And so he left. He went and prayed. He came back, and what were they doing? They were sleeping. All of them were sleeping. And Jesus said, wake up. What are you doing? The time is near when I'm about to give my life for you. Wake up, guard, stand guard, and pray. He asked them specifically to pray. Jesus went off and prayed, and he came back. What, what was happening? They were asleep again. It, Jesus went off, like, wake up, guard, pray, went off again. Guess what? He came back for the third time, and what were they doing? They were sleeping. You see, they didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus had invited them into when he encouraged them and told them to pray. They thought it was boring, but what Jesus was saying to do is altogether uh, different. The prayer is boring. Just, just sometimes we think it's, it's boring. I don't know about you, but when it comes to spiritual things, I, I tend to be ADD about all things in life, but I think spiritual things, I tend to I lose my uh, spiritual attention really easily. And so I can go from, from praying uh, to like 30 seconds into praying, thinking like, man, my stomach is turning. I'm hungry. I wonder if we have some Honey Nut Cheerios in the house. Maybe I need to make a list of the groceries. Not that I ever go get groceries, so I can pass it on to my wife so she can go get some groceries. And, and then think, like, what else do I have to do today? And, and, and I never get back to what I was, I, I, with good heart, I was spending time with the Lord, right? I just have some spiritual ADD. Maybe that's you. I don't know. And the third misconception is that prayer doesn't work. You may be here, and you're going, I... I Justin, I've done that. I mean, I prayed. When my grandma was sick, I prayed. I prayed so much that she would be well and she never got well. Or I prayed for this job. I I sincerely wanted to provide better for my family and I never got that job. Or whatever it is, you you name it. And it didn't turn out like you had hoped. And so your response is that, man, I just don't see that prayer works. Or maybe I'm just not doing it right. Or maybe it's that God doesn't care. What we need to understand, as we turn to Philippians chapter 4, it's where we're going to be our passage for today. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 to 7, just a few verses today. We need to understand and embrace the truth that we're not praying to a distant, uninvolved, hard-to-please, unloving God. We're actually praying to the opposite, a loving, engaged, caring, and personal God that calls us this phrase that is in that title of the hymn that we focus on today. He calls us his friend. 
And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 15 when he was with his disciples. He says, I, in John chapter 15, verse 15, he says, I've never called you servants because a master doesn't confide like I do in his servants. He's, but Jesus said, I call you, here's the most literal translation, my most intimate friends. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things with all power and all might and all wisdom and all knowledge, all places and all times, calls me friend. And he calls you friend. Even when those people chastise him, all the religious people chastise him for spending time with people that they thought that he shouldn't, they're Allegations were he's a friend to sinners. I'm so thankful he is. Because I'm one and you are too. And it's in that thought, that reality that God is a relational God and he's so ever present and engaged with us. That we can come before him into his throne room of grace because he is grace. And we can find help in the time of our need. Let's read Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 4. Realize this is written by Paul uh, to the church of Philippi. Uh, Paul loves this church. During Paul's second missionary journey is when Paul planted this church. Most likely Paul is writing again from Rome, just like he was. We talked last week in Ephesus. A little bit later on when he writes to uh, the Philippians, uh, he's in, he's in uh, prison again writing to this church that he loves in Philippi, teaching them, admonishing them, encouraging them. And here is the final encouragement, the final exhortations that he gives to them, beginning in verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. I love the idea. We talked about it a few months ago. This idea of rejoice, it, it, it implies greatly that you've had joy before. And so it's to go back and find that joy that you already have had and you've already experienced, again, rejoice. So he's saying to the people of Philippi, hey, remember back when you experienced Christ for the first time through his grace, through your faith that you have in him? Go back to that. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here's that verse that you most likely heard before. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So much to unpack here. But here's what I want to make sure that we hear today. I want to make sure out of this passage that we hear the sound of hope within these verses is this. God listens. God listens. What a friend we have in Jesus written by a man named Joseph Scriven. He was an Irishman, lived in the 1800s, so we're a couple of centuries away from when he lived and wrote this 
this hymn. A little bit about a story that gives us context of this, of this hymn, and I think will change the way we see it and, and experience it anew today. So when uh, growing up, he had this childhood person that he, he just had an endearment toward, and he got engaged, betrothed to that woman. And the day before their wedding, they were riding to meet each other just the day before their wedding. And they were riding on horses separately. And on the way, almost being together, the, his future wife, the, the, the horse began to buck and bucked her off. And right next to the river, he, she hit her head on a stone and fell into the river and drowned. And just moments later, he found her. Can you imagine? It was so devastating that he said, I, I just got to start a new life. And so he did. He left his country. He left Ireland. He left his continent. He got on a boat and went over to Canada of all places to start over. And when he got to Canada, we don't know the whole story, but we do know this. When he got to Canada, soon after that, somehow he prayed and he met Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And his life was never the same after that. When he met Jesus, it was so life-changing. He said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and I'm going to take a vow of poverty. I'm not going to make money, but I'm going to, I'm going to serve people in the name of Jesus. So he began to do that. Joseph began to use his, his crafts, and he was very crafty. He, he could help build houses. He could fix things. So he began any need. He began to serve people, but he would only help people who didn't have enough means to pay him what his work is worth. And so he would go out and help. He would never take money. He's like, if, if they had the money to, to pay him for what he's worth, like, he wouldn't help them. He'd go to help those that couldn't afford to pay him. So much so, he, he had a nickname all around Canada. He became known as Joseph the Good Samaritan. And there was a young lady. Her name was Eliza Roche. She heard about this man and made a journey to go meet him. And she was endeared toward him, and he was endeared back toward her, and they got engaged. Two weeks before their wedding, she got pneumonia, and she died. Can you imagine what that would be like? Years later, he continues to serve the Lord in Canada. Years later, his, his mom got sick. He got news that she was sick unto death. And because he made no money, he did not have enough means to make a trip to, to Ireland, his homeland, to visit his mom um, before she passed. And so instead, he wrote a poem now, he had written many poems over the years. He, he had written many hymns that had been published even in the churches around Canada. But this one specifically was a poem written to his mom and was sent to his mom to encourage her before her death. Where well, her mom, when she got it, was so encouraged by, by his words. His mom began to share that with people. And that was adopted and music was put to it. And it began to be sung as a hymn in churches all around Europe. He didn't even know this. He didn't live in Europe. There's no social media back then, y'all. There's no email. There's no phone back in those days. And toward the end of his life, he had a friend that came over. And this song had just been, let's just use the modern term, had been viral back in those days. His friend came over to his house and saw this piece of paper lying on a table and saw that it was this this song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And, and his friend said, hey, did you really write that? And he said, no, the Lord and I did. And through all of life, all of those experiences of life, he asked these questions in that hymn, 
just to remind you of what they are, here's the questions. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, Joseph had understood and had lived our principal passage for today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. He had proved this truth in his life. He had proved that there is peace. He had proved that there is power in prayer. As it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He had proved in his own life our truth for the day, that God listens. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain I bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, prayer is the way to defeat the devil. Prayer is the way to restore the fallen. Prayer is the way Jesus taught us to move mountains. Prayer is the way to calm the storm. Prayer is the way you enter God's presence. Prayer is the way to understand God's will for your life. Prayer is the way to experience God's peace. Take it to the Lord in prayer, which begs the question that I want to answer today. How in the world do we do that well? How do we pray I would say this before we move on. It's not about an equation. I like math, so I like equations. I like things to be a squared plus c squared, or a squared plus b squared equals a squared, c squared. I like that. I mean, that's easy. That's, I can calculate that. I can plug it in. It's not about a calculation or a formula. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is a gift. So that's what we're talking about. How do we access, how do we utilize this gift that God gives us, and how do we have discipline to do that in our life? We use our verses today to give us some things. The first thing is this. They're in your notes. Sometimes you talk to God. Sometimes it's us engaging God. Look at verse uh, 6 in our passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer. That word prayer is literally talking, having a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. And here's the truth of that passage in verse 6. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Now, I don't know about you. I just have my own testimony. I can worry about anything and everything. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's in everything. He knew that. Paul did the, he, Paul's the same way. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, I'm a warrior too, is what Paul is saying. We're all warriors. We all have anxiety. We all have struggles. Sometimes those struggles are small. Sometimes those are big. And I really think that every single one of us have both of those today. We all have some small things that stress us that we're worried about. But I just go out on a limb and say that we probably all have some big things that we're here to worry about and anxiety about. And so it says all of those things. There's nothing too small and too big to take to the Lord 
in prayer. Sometimes you talk to God. Sometimes you vent to God. That's the second thing. What's the difference? That word, after prayer, our, our version here, by prayer and petition. Some of your versions say supplication. I, I, petition is something like, I, I kind of understand that. It's kind of a petition to get people to sign this, to change something into law or whatever that is. Supplication, it has nothing to do with supper, which is food. It's, it has nothing to do with food. I've learned that, right? I like food. It's, it's not that. So, so what is this? The, the root of that word uh, that's translated, rendered here as petition, the word is, is it's, a deeper, it's a deeper sense than just a, a prayer having a conversation. It's, the sense behind it is this is a, a heartfelt need that I know is big enough to know that I need to go find someone that can specifically help with that need. So let me explain that. If uh, you have financial trouble... And you know that, like big financial trouble, you, you realize that need, you, you would, that same word, you would go and petition someone for help. So who would you go to? You would go to a, a financial advisor. You would go to a banker, right? Now, if you had a sickness, and it was a big deal, whatever sickness it is, you knew it, you recognize that, it's a deep need in your life, and so you go to someone who can help with that. That's the idea of petition. Who would you go to? You would go to the doctor. Like, please, if you've got one of those things, go to the doctor. They're the ones that can help you. Like, go to them. Don't go to a banker. They're not going to help you. Go to a doctor. So sometimes we vent to God because we realize our, our great need in life, and we petition him. Why? Because we realize that he's the one that can meet those needs. You see what I mean? That's the idea of petition. So 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares. If you ever wonder where God cares or not, you don't have to wonder anymore. God cares. God listens because he cares for us. We pray and we petition this deep, heartfelt need that we realize through God's spirit and through his word that we go to him. We, we take all things to him in prayer. I added a third because I think it's really important. Sometimes we listen to God. Sometimes we listen to God. What I mean by this is um, Billy Graham said it as well. He said it much better than I could say it. He said prayer is simply a two-way conversation between us and God. We can talk about prayer as us being the one talking, but if we neglect the other side of the conversation as one listening, we don't really understand what prayer is. I don't know, I'm not a, like an expert on relationships, but I learned that if I'm the only one ever talking in my marriage and I'm never listening, I know that's not good. And that's not healthy. And that needs to change. But if we only see prayer as us talking, but never are intentionally listening, man, do we miss out on a huge aspect of prayer. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep know my voice and I know them. They know my voice and I know them. Why do they know his voice? Because they're listening. 
They've learned the voice of their shepherd, and they listen. The sheep are, are tuned in to the shepherd's voice. When Samuel was hearing from the Lord, he didn't know who it was, and so he's trying to figure that out. And finally, he says the right answer the third time. Samuel says, when he hears the voice of the Lord, remember what he said? He said, speak, Lord, for I am listening. That's the right answer. That, that is one of the most missed things when it comes to prayer. Yes, indeed, it's about us talking and talking to God. But what about the listening? What about how are we doing with our listening? We, we should ask, and I'm going to ask you now, how is your talking to the Lord going? Like, honestly, how, how is your prayer life going talking to God? But then I would, I would ask you, how, how is your listening to God going? Well, how do you do that? Well, I believe the principal way that God speaks to us is through his word. So I think actually right now you're doing better than give, your, give yourself credit for. Because you are right now practicing that prayer because you are listening to God through his word. He is speaking to us. So literally, if you, like I would point a picture, like listening looks like this. This is praying. Do you ever think of it that way? Like when you open up God's word, you know you're not talking to God. You're just listening. It's the other side of prayer. You are listening to the very voice of God, which is so very clearly put in his word to us. It's like, God, I, 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 I speak to you. I have these needs. But, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just listening. I want to hear you. God speaks through his word. He speaks through his creation. He speaks through his people. He speaks through his spirit in the innermost of who we are. But we have to position ourselves not just to speak, but to listen. So we talk, we vent, we pray, we petition, and we listen. But then the fourth thing, as we go to the rest of verse 6, at all times we give thanks to God. You see, this is the turner for me. I was doing okay with the previous ones, but this one, Paul doesn't stop there with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Reminds me of a four-year-old boy who was asked to pray before the Christmas meal, and the four-year-old boy looked around, and he was so excited about getting to pray this prayer of blessing, and so he began to thank God for his mommy, his daddy, his grandma and grandpa, his aunt and uncle. He began to thank God for the tables and the chairs. He began to thank God for the turkey and the dressing and the green bean casserole and the cream corn and the purple whole peas. He began to thank God for the, the nice yeast rolls in front of him that smelled so good. He went on to thank God even for the Cool Whip or the dessert. And then he paused, and everyone wondered why he was paused. And he looked up at his mom and, and asked, If I thank God for the broccoli, won't he know that I'm lying? <laughs> I don't know about you. When it comes to this part of the prayer pathway, it's just, I think it's one reason why we, it's just, how, how can we be thankful when we're praying to God about these great needs in our life? Like, I could look back a couple of years ago when I was 
battling with cancer. And like, does that mean that? I didn't do this in the first service. I had better. Does that mean I have to look at God, knowing this great need I have in my life, and say, God, thank you for, for, thank you for the cancer? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it means at all, actually. Although God has a plan. It's in the midst of that, in the midst of that great need, is realizing who can meet that great need, God alone, right? But, but it's being thankful to be able to say a prayer like this. Thank you, God, in the midst of this storm. For me, that was my journey through cancer. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Thank you, God, that you are in control. Thank you that you know more than me and have more than me. And thank you that I'm not alone. That's what it's talking about. You see, why is it it giving thanksgiving? Because that alters our perspective. Yeah, we have these weights. Yes, yes, we have these needs. We We all do. They're all different, so diverse within us. But when we pull in that thanksgiving, man, that changes our perspective on whatever we're doing is that God is sovereign and he's in control and, and he's, he is at work even within that mess that is in our life. And so prayer may or may not change our circumstances, but prayer will always change us. Prayer may or may not change our circumstances, but prayer will always change us. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So it leads us to the last thing. As we finish up in verse 7, true peace isn't the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. Look at verse 7. If we do these things, don't be anxious about anything. Every situation, pray and petition with thanksgiving. Present yourself, present your request to God. What's the fruit of that? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something about that verse. There is not one promise that God's going to give us what we're asking for. He may. He may not. But there is a promise there. Did you get it? The promise is peace. The promise is peace. So whether or not God gives us what we're looking for, what we think we need, and the timeline we think we need it, peace is extended to us. It's extended to me. It's extended to you in all times and all circumstances. And it's, it's my choice to receive that in the moment. It's my choice. And here's what God told me. Listen up. This is for me first, but I extend it to you, my church family. The price isn't that we get what we ask of him, God. The price is that we get him. The price is that we have him. And that's what it means in verse 7. If we go to him, and realize who he is and what he does and how he cares and how he listens. If we realize that, man, the peace is going to come. Why? Because it, that's not contingent on our circumstances. 
is contingent on who he is and his character, and that is always faithful and always good and always with us. We already have him. It says there in verse 5, the band's going to come up. We're going to have a response song. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's just four words that just, to me, resonate so deeply. What does that mean? The Lord is near. That means he is with us. He is all around us. And if you are in Christ today, the truth is he is in you. You can't go anywhere where he's not because he is in you. The Holy Spirit is, is in you. He dwells in you. And so in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of whatever you can think of right now that you could bring to God to petition him, that you could bring to the Lord, he is near and is listening. Always he is listening. As I thought about this week, how we would respond. It's like, man, this is a challenge for all of us to, to really be faithful, to talk to God and to listen to God, to be faithful with our prayer life and good reminders and challenges and misconceptions that we fall into. And I thought about this, though. I thought the power of, the power of prayer, but the power specifically of a simple prayer. I think that many of us in the room have come to a point in our lives where, where we have realized that, that we are sinners, that we have messed up. And then we've realized, as Scripture says, the, the wages of sin, of that sin, and is death. Romans 6, 23, right? For the wages of sin is death. But then we realize the second part of that verse but the gift of God, the eternal life in Christ Jesus. We realize in Romans chapter 10, like how to access that gift, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. How do we access salvation? How do we access salvation that is extended to us by Jesus' grace through faith? How do we access that? We access it through a simple prayer. And I just think, sorry, I'm losing my voice. I'm not going through puberty again. I just believe, it's no coincidence that we're talking about talking to God right now. I believe there's many of us in the room that, that, that God, is, God is, is, is stirring in our hearts and we don't even know it. That, I'm not, that you, you're asking the question, like, I'm not even sure that I've ever talked to God where he's listened and he's responded. How, how do I ever think? I've never really thought that, that my prayer has been effective as it talks about in James chapter 5. I've never really understood all of these things that I've learned for so many years, but it's never meant that much to me. And you're wondering, like, man, have I ever, have I ever had what this guy on stage is, like, he's talking about? Like, I don't have that. Well, the way you access that is through a simple prayer. And I would invite you to say that simple prayer with me right now. If you right now want to have a relationship with the God that we've been talking about for the last 35 minutes that listens, that cares, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. This is the way you access going from death to life, access having a relationship with the one true God. 
And I would ask all of us to close our eyes right now. If that's you and you don't know for sure where you've said that simple prayer, where you have, have realized that you are fallen and sinful, and you have acknowledged that Jesus died for that sin, he paid for it on the cross, and you have put your faith and trust in him, you asked for forgiveness and told him that you want to walk with him for the rest of your life, all you do is just through a simple prayer. It's not magical. It's just telling God what you believe in your heart. And that's what prayer is. So if that's you right now, if you've never nailed that down, I want to invite you to pray this prayer to God, simply talking to God, and tell him something like this. That God, thank you that you listen. God, I realize that I've messed up. I've fallen short. I've sinned. And God, I I know that my sin separates me from you, and I believe that Jesus already paid for that sin on the cross. I believe that I today need to talk to you and ask you to forgive me, ask you to rescue me, and ask you to save me. So right now, God, in all sincerity, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to live for Jesus for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to be up here. You can come now. You can come after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. This coming Sunday, we're going to have Baptism Sunday. We have several Baptism Sundays coming up. So if this Sunday doesn't work for you, it's okay. But this coming Sunday, we're having one. Be a great time. If you prayed that prayer, your first step obedience as a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is to be biblically baptized. And it is after the point of salvation to be immersed in the water to celebrate as a picture of what God has already done, washing your sins away when you put your faith in Jesus Christ to celebrate that before his people. That's what baptism is. And so can we talk about that this week? Uh, Find me here after the service or put on that connection card. I'd like to talk to a pastor and you can put that in the offering box on the way out. I will know what to do. I will call you and we will talk this week and tell you how you can be a part of baptism this Sunday or one of the Sundays coming up. For the rest of us, like, how do we respond? Man. Man, it's to be grateful that right now God calls you his friend. And yes, he's transcendent, he's almighty, he's king of kings, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, all of that, and so much more, but he is your friend. Are you living that way? Are you trusting him like you would a friend? Man, he's a friend above all friends. May we live like that this week. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. That simple truth that we focus on today is a grace gift to us that you listen. The very thing we're doing right now is built on that foundation that when your people pray, you listen. And we thank you for that. God, give us wisdom. Give us boldness to practice and put feet to your word today that we would lean on you in gratitude through prayer. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.